Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. To this service of ordered worship in cantata and sermon, we welcome all in our nave at 735 Commonwealth Avenue in New England by radio at WBUR 90.9 FM and around the globe at WBUR.org. We gather together and welcome your response in email or in regular mail, your support in material or prayerful ways, your self-selection of forms of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us. Come and be with us here next Sunday. For Salt and Light, today we bring learning, virtue, and piety. With Salt and Light, we become a heart for the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city. As Salt and Light, we lift our voice around the globe, discern our vocation in the heart, and expand the volume of the Marsh Chapel community. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, with sisters and brothers in other traditions, ancient and global, we share a longing for atonement and a need of compunction. So today's moment, a humble contrition, and here is today's psalm. So today's moment, a contrite humility, and here is today's light. As the choir sings, let us lift our hearts in personal and collective confession. Let us pray. are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Peace, perfect peace, the peace of pardon and joy be upon us one and all. For if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks, Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Epistle of James, chapter 5, 13 through 20. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? 
they should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of, a, of faith we, will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The, pray, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Let us pray Psalm 124 responsively with the antiphon. not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when our enemies attacked us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowls. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now, beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Deo and the reading of the Gospel.
Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Glory to you, O Lord. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Today, I invite my friend and colleague, our director of music at Marsh Chapel, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, to join me in offering the morning homily. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Bob. <laughs> it's a marvelous day for music, for harmony, for Bach, for hearing, for seeing, for greeting, and wonder all around us. Indeed it is, my gifted friend, indeed it is. Our gospel lesson today depicts salvation, healing, in a movement from hearing to seeing, a day on which hearing became seeing and sound sight. Well, this is indeed encouragement to me and to the choir. Each Sunday we try to provide a setting for saving and healing worship. We sing an introit from the gallery to lift the heart of God. We extend our praise, writing descants for hymns, or guiding you, the congregation, in an a cappella verse of a hymn. Our Kyrie brings the heart to humble contrition, and the Gloria Patri brings the heart to joyful acceptance. In our anthems, we seek the truth in beauty, and beauty in truth. And today, one of four such Sundays this academic year, we listen to a cantata, an arrangement meant especially for Sunday worship. But let me ask you a question, Dr. Jarrett. Do you mind? <laughs> Absolutely, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> Say I am sitting in my kitchen eating a bagel and drinking a coffee and leaping through the globe and joining Marsh Chapel worship by radio. And let's further say that I do not really know that much about Bach, although I recognize and enjoy the beauty of holiness in this music. And as part of our sermon this morning, which is a teaching dialogue sermon, the fifth consecutive different sermonic form provided, by the way, this autumn 
in part as teaching examples for our seminarians to show diversity and possibility in sermonic design. Anyway, can you <laughs> help me understand, can you help me to appreciate what I am about to hear? Well, I can certainly try. And to start with, I will take you last summer on a recent trip I took with my family to Italy. And on our way from Rome to Florence, we had a chance to stop at the little medieval town of San Gemignano. If you've been there, it's a wonderfully preserved little medieval uh, Italian hill town village. And as, you, as it happens, you stumble across little churches here and there, and in general, we're overwhelmed by the amount of art that you come across in Italy. And in this particular little collegiate church in San Gemignano, we had occasion to walk in once again, we're astounded and overwhelmed by the amount of art all along the walls of the nave and the transept everywhere, every possible space covered with art. We began to look at each of these one by one, and one by one we were able to discern that each painting was a depiction from the biblical narrative. And again, one by one, together, my mother, my father, and I looked along the south wall of the nave, and we went from the top row all the way down, second row, third row, and we discovered they were each part of the Hebrew scriptures from the Bible, telling all of the stories from the Hebrew scriptures. We turned around after we'd identified the lion's den and Noah's ark and the rainbow and all. We turned to the other side and we found it was the Christian story from birth to death to resurrection through the ascension. The back wall had the last judgment. These, we recognized, were part of our tradition, part of our faith story, but they were also serving a didactic tool in that context. They were teaching the biblical narrative. And not unlike these paintings in the little collegiate church in San Gemignano, for Bach in the 18th century Lutheran, these cantatas, the chorale text, were these exact paintings. They were the didactic tools which served that purpose. They communicated a faith, a theology, and they served as an aural illumination of God's word. The story of divine love, incarnate, cruciform, and resurrected. And by their interplay of rhythms and harmonies, this careful weaving of the biblical and poetic text illumines God's word. So Dr. Jarrett, do you mean to say that every cantata is itself a kind of sermon? Well, in a way, but I'm not sure that that's a reflexive relationship. Though with your sermons, Bob, we've come to know that your sermons are indeed cantatas. <laughs> your sermons have within them the soprano of Jesus' voice, the primary alto of the primitive church's preaching, the tenor of the gospel writer, and the baritone of the church's interpretation, beginning right in the later New Testament books. I seem to remember hearing just that somewhere before. We do, we do occasionally pay attention, that's right. But there's more to this. These cantatas of Sebastian Bach are in German, and they date from the early half of the 18th century. That aside, we can still relate and find unbelievable nourishment in the story and these mystifying sounds. Music is one of the temporal arts. That is to say, it exists in a framework defined by time. It has a specific start and stop. Despite this defining characteristic, I have always been amazed about music's ability to make time stop for the listener. It has a remarkable ability to alter our perception of time. 
In today's cantata, for instance, Bach weaves his counterpoint in such a way that we are drawn to a nearly mystical, mystified state. For his text, Bach incorporates verses from a chorale with the first eight verses of Psalm 130. Likely written for funeral, the psalmist text in this cantata depict the soul waiting for the Lord, waiting and hoping for redemption, a saving grace. Bach chooses certain words to highlight in, in each of the odd-numbered movements, the big choral movements. You'll hear one particular word which he chooses to paint the text musically and highlight and draw our attention to it. And in the first movement, listen for the word fleen, which means plea, hear our plea. Open your ears, O Lord, to our plea. So listen for that word. In the middle movement, it's the word harat, my soul longs, my soul waits. Harat takes a long time to get through. In the final movement, when we finally recognize the possibility of saving grace and redemption, it's that word erlursung, redemption, which is treated in a special way. Listen for those three words, among many others. Those are simply three instances. The general sense of this music, however, is of the soul and we ourselves waiting for the Lord. We are caught in the wheel of life, and time seems to stop as we wait upon the Lord. Scott, I, I see. I, I, I mean, I hear. I mean, I see and hear. I mean, well, last week I sat with one of our very best choristers to ask her what it was like to sing the Bach harmonies. Can you tell me who this chorister is first? Well, I... <laughs> no, but her initials are Undine Brent. <laughs> I see. Anyway, she said, and I asked permission to quote her, as I always do. Here, too, is a lesson point for the FPA, Future Preachers of America. Always ask permission for quotation. Anyway, that there were not, she said, really words to describe what it is like in those moments of powerful, pure harmony. When I pressed her to say more, she simply said, after a pause, it is a kind of elation. Elation. Yes. That is the experience of really being alive. The experience of God that comes in worship, in prayer, in hymn, in sermon, in fellowship. Elation. Is that the way you'd put it? Absolutely unquestionably. But I would add a little more. The privilege to recreate this music in this setting and for this service is a very special privilege. It's even transporting, I would add, to elation. Bach wrote today's cantata when he was about 22 years old. It's one of the earliest cantatas that we have from about 1707. 22 years old, about the same age as half the people here. These cantatas are almost like an aural, illuminated manuscript. Their subject is none other than Holy Scripture, but their presentation is adorned in the beauty of the harmonies in the counterpoint of a great master. As a practicing church musician myself, I have always been moved by Bach's devotion to theological awareness and his regular, almost monastic sense of his own musical responsibilities. We are fortunate to have access to Bach's personal Bible, and you can hardly turn a page without finding some sort of commentary in his own hand in the margin, indicating his theological experience his eagerness and his curiosity. You can even find in the commentary which, which says, Luther says this about that, 
uh, he would write, if there wasn't something that Luther said, he would say, if Luther had said something, he would have said, <laughs> in the margin, in Bach's own hand. Um, he wrote today's cantata when he was in a little town called Mühlhausen, but his primary post that, he, that was his major post of his life was in the central town of Leipzig in central Germany. And uh, before getting that job, he had to endure three days of oral theological examination. Not musical, but theological. And I think that uh, illuminates um, the strength of the theology and the strength of the intellect that guides and crafts these marvelous musical miniatures of our cantatas that we have. Singing Bach, playing Bach, and indeed hearing Bach. Each one, whether you're here, here, there, there, each one is illuminating, transporting, and uplifting. A call to devotion, observance, kindness, and a greater faith. I see, I mean, I hear and see, thanks to your help. There is a kind of hearing that becomes a kind of seeing. A hymn can lift you so, as can a cantata. A dear friend of mine, Robert Jones, tells of being a theological student with no denomination yet. He went into a meeting of Methodist preachers in Buffalo, and they were singing hymn after hymn, until at last they lifted together in choral harmony the old hymn, Peace, Perfect Peace. They sang it together in such a way that he knew in that moment that he had found a home, his home, his community. No words drew him to membership, only music. It was a kind of hearing that became seeing. When people hear us on the radio, or you hear us here in the congregation today, or on the internet, we expect, and we hope, that this hearing is a hearing that becomes seeing. Dr. Jarrett, could you tell me just a little bit more about that? Well, I could, Bob, but Tempest Fujit and we have a cantata to do, so <laughs> maybe November 22nd of the next cantata we'll have more chance for that. Well, Tempest Fujit indeed, and we shall move forward in our service. Thank you so very much. By the way, my mother who is here today and a Latin teacher would very much appreciate your command of Latin and appreciate even more the music you are about to bring. As we prepare our hearts, let us listen in prayer to these verses of an old hymn. Peace, perfect peace, by thronging duties pressed, to do the will of Jesus, this is rest. Peace, perfect peace, with loved ones far away, and Jesus keeping, we are safe and they. It is enough, earth's struggle soon shall cease, and Jesus call us to heaven's perfect peace. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. It is with great gratitude that we thank today the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium under the direction of Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett and Associate Director Justin Blackwell. We greet also today the parents of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, and thank especially the Reverend Irving Hill for reading our first lesson this morning. We would note that after church today uh, will be the first Marsh Forum of the year. Our own Elizabeth Fomby, our Director of Hospitality, will be sharing about her trip to Ephesus last spring. We hope you can join us downstairs in the Thurman Room. Also uh, to note that in Alumni Weekend is coming up the third weekend in October, August 23rd through 25th, and here that Saturday from 4 to 5 p.m., uh, we'll be having a wine and cheese reception here at the chapel. So if you're here for the alumni weekend events, we do encourage you to come. We hope that those of you worshiping with us here in the nave of Marsh Chapel this morning will fill out the red pads at the end of your pew so that we can help you get to know each other better and so that we can get to know you better ourselves. We would encourage those of you, especially listening online, to keep track of the chapel website for ongoing events and also the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
It is with joy that we present our offering today, that the stewardship of our resources might reflect the ardor of our faith. In joy and gratitude we say, Amen. darkest night a star shine through your dullest morn a radiance brew and when dusk comes god's hand to you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen <laughs> 